Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's off-track betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey guys, LD here with a content and trigger warning for our audience. This episode deals with sexual allegations with a minor, pedophilia, abuse, and inappropriate behavior around children. Listener discretion is strongly advised. You're digging the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast with LD, Will the Thrill, and TJ2. Hey guys, welcome to Rock and Roll Heaven, the podcast where we talk about the lives, careers, and deaths of famous musicians. I am your host, LD, along with me for the ride, as always, is TJ2, the deuce. Are you shaking a wet napkin? No, it, it actually like it, it, it exploded and sodi pop went everywhere. Oh, geez. Oh, dear. How sticky. Yeah, uh-huh. I'm certainly not drinking a uh, Florida man double uh, India pale ale from Cigar City Brewing because I'm in my office and that would be unethical. So it's a uh, <laughs> pop. called Florida man. Yes. And and speaking nice. of Florida men, uh, your father lives in Florida, which makes you a Florida man, Mr. Will the Thrill. Uh, first of all, it does not make me a Florida man. And second of all, uh, greetings and salutations. <laughs> and what are you drinking, darling? Uh, I've had a craving for a while, so I mixed myself up a gin and tonic. Ah. Yeah, don't know why, but something refreshing for these inconsistent days in california where the weather changes you know drastically yep yep mm-hmm. uh, what's that like we had a freeze warning tuesday night it was 85 today oh my god <laughs> wow yeah it's picture the same thing just shift it up so the low would be like 70 and the high would be 100 so similar concept just pushed up a bit right yeah and uh speaking of which that's um you know we get we i we, we i get sick if there's like a big swing in temperature so uh i just don't go outside anymore um and then we're just happy that we have tj2 back because he was feeling under the weather and so that's why we didn't have an episode less but let's let's be honest lindley needed a break too uh so yeah i mean and i felt like we really haven't given the people the opportunity to savor the meager amount of michael jackson information you've provided and you know it's just I want to artificially pork out this this terribly short, bereft of uh, information uh, series that we've done. Um, so yeah, I just played sick. And, and, and I, for one, feel that we should celebrate this moment. We have reached the halfway point, ladies and gentlemen. You obviously one, don't know what I've been reading. <laughs> one third or, or one, one tenth or <laughs> five and a quarter, I'm not sure. This is no longer the Rock and Roll Heaven show. This is literally just LD talks about Michael Jackson. Um, 
Yeah, no, I, I don't know if I mentioned this or not. Uh, this, on week, the last this, week, this week on the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast, Michael Jackson poops in a porta john. He would never. He would never. Did, did, did Michael Jackson poop eating the like bird seed and quinoa and whatever he ate? Did he actually do you even poop? Probably. Birds still Is poop. there a diet that one can undertake when they wouldn't where they wouldn't poop? Where literally your body makes use of like every single thing that you're giving it. Possibly. I you know what? I don't know, but let's uh let's go ahead and then and dive in to uh some of the thing the the housekeeping that we have to do. And that I feel is, like you're I feel like you're 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 really downplaying um <laughs> Well you keep popping your peas and it's driving me up the wall. <laughs> So why don't we sort of shift gears since we're going to spend plenty of time talking about Michael Jackson today what? to to two people that have passed away uh, and that we would like to highlight this week. So TJ, why don't you take the first one? Uh, yeah, um, Cynthia Albritton was actually her name. Most people just know her as the plaster caster of Chicago. She um, basically made uh, plaster mold statuettes of rock star penises. And by her own own admission, did did so initially as a way to have sex. (laughs) Which, I mean, that's that's a great strategy. uh, I'm so glad that I already put the parental warning at the beginning of this episode. (laughs) Yeah. And then um, later in her career, she actually did start making uh, plaster impressions of female rock stars' breasts as well. You got to You got to keep it fresh. Yeah. And uh, all of those were... uh, demonstrated in like a big public art show in new york at a prestigious museum i think so it was just like a bunch of wieners well let's not overlook something here are you telling me ld that we have a pre-recorded warning for plaster penises no no uh Uh, but i feel like now i probably should make one (laughs) yeah when she she said when she started doing it like she didn't exactly know how to do it again it was just a ploy to meet rock stars and so initially, like the plaster would stick and it was hard to get off or it would it would firm up too quickly and they wouldn't be all the way into the little tray she gave them and stuff. So some some of her subjects were not fully represented, hmm. I think would be the way to put it. Uh, and she was actually the subject of the Kiss Song Plaster Caster. So uh, RIP to her. And then uh, there was a, a one that actually kind of hit fairly close to home to you, elderly, right? Yeah, actually, that was the the incredible human that was Robert Morse. And uh, as you guys know, probably from the last episode that we did, which was the last, uh, I should say, slap nuts that we did, that I do have a hefty love of Broadway. And Robert, or as, you know, Bobby, as people called him, was one of the heavy hitters when it came to Broadway. He actually won his first Tony in a musical in 1962, which was How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. And that ran for 1,400 performances, which is a massive run. Jeez. Um, and it was adapted for the big screen in 1967 when he, he actually reprised his, his role as Jay Pierpont. And he won his second Tony for a one-man show called True, where he played Truman Capote. But um, and he done he has, he's done a ton of theater and he's done you know television. But the reason why it hit home to me was because he was the guy in Mad Men. He owned the company, and uh, he was just a wonderful person. And uh, for those who don't know, I I used to be an actor, and um, 
<clears throat> sorry, I get a little choked up because this is, you know, the, uh, we have a, a family. Mad Men was a family. We still keep up with every single girl. We've had weddings, divorces, births, deaths, and we have a group on Facebook. We still call each other on birthdays. We have picnics with each other. We still hang out. And some like one of them is still one of my best friends of all time. And Mad Men was a family. And I will, I will, you will never hear me speak a crossword about anything having to do with that, that show, because that show was just a delight to work on. And he was a delight. And every time he showed up on set, it just got a little lighter. It got a little better. And uh, I actually wanted to share um, a story uh, that, that I was here for this story, but my friend remembered it and articulated it so much better than I ever could. So I'm actually just going to read the Facebook post from my friend, Kyle, who was one of the, the mad ladies. And she said, one of my, she's sharing a story from our friend, Molly. And Molly was also one of the mad ladies. And she said that she, one of my all-time favorite moments on the set of season two of Mad Men, which was actually my first season, um, back in 2008 was Robert Moore sitting in with us secretaries. And that's what we were. We were in the secretary pool between takes one day, just chatting with us. A cast member walked by and said, Bobby, what are you doing here? You're not on this, the shooting schedule today. And Robert replied, I've been in show business my whole life. There's honestly nowhere on earth I would rather be than on set or in a theater. And we all sat silently for a moment, drinking in that heartfelt moment of the wisdom and the gratitude that these words had from a true entertainment legend. And then he broke the silence by adding, and also there are cookies here. <laughs> so sound reason to show up. He, he was just such a wonderful person. He was just such a light in this world. And he, I used to work in a restaurant. I was a hostess in a restaurant here in, in Sherman Oaks, uh, California. And he would come in for breakfast on Sundays and he would just sit there and just talk to people and I would have a conversation with him every, every once in a while. And we would just talk about old Hollywood and we talk about old Broadway. And he was just so kind and giving with his time. And he was just so caring. And so I'm that, you know, he was 90 and he had an amazing life, but I'm, I don't know if 90 was enough years. He was, he was wonderful and I will miss him. All right. Somebody say something before I, I, I lose it. Well, we could talk about poops more or okay all right so um <laughs> before we get into the meat and potatoes why don't we take a moment to have a word from our sponsor better help mr thrill over to you all right as you know this episode is sponsored by or maybe now you know better help everyone no matter where they are in life needs a little help we all spend hours working on every part of our lives, our careers, our weight, our, you know, what we know, but for many people, they overlook their mental health. And I know that because I was one of them. Like so many, I was working really hard to get ahead. I was exercising, doing the extra hours at the job, reading the books, doing everything I thought I needed to balance my life. And what I found out was I was missing something. And certainly the global pandemic didn't help. I was feeling isolated and like I had nobody to talk to. And that's where BetterHelp came in and made a huge difference in my life. BetterHelp allows you to get specific help for whatever is ailing you. They can ask you targeted questions to set you up with the right therapist. And you can talk about 
really whatever you want, big things, small things. The point is it doesn't matter. It's about the stuff that's important to you. And that's where BetterHelp becomes a great fit for a lot of people seeking that extra connection. It'll set you up with a licensed therapist in your area in just 48 hours. In 48 hours, you can start talking to somebody who can help you sort out your problems, work through your life, and help you live the way you should be. Not ashamed, not in fear, but instead being someone who's comfortable with who they are. And again, free to navigate all that life has to offer you. And that's why I'm so happy to say that BetterHelp is sponsoring this podcast and offering a special for our listeners. You can go to betterhelp.com and enter our code rockheaven. So that's betterhelp slash rockheaven and get 10% off your first month of professional therapy with BetterHelp. I did it. I know a lot of other people are glad they did and you can too. So thanks again for BetterHelp for sponsoring this podcast, helping me and everyone else. Better help, better life. All right. Thank you so much, Better Help. We appreciate the sponsorship. And guys, please make sure to take part in this awesome promo that they have going on because uh, mental health is such an important thing to take care of. So please make sure that you take advantage of that, that promo. Now, uh, kind of diving into the episode, I want to say that last week wasn't very much fun. And this week isn't going to be much better. So... So what we're actually going to do is I'm going to hand it over to Will for a little bit of levity, a little bit more fun. You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. We're going to give him the floor for right now. He wanted something. He wanted to highlight something that uh, he absolutely loved. And so I'm going to pass this off to Mr. Will the Thrill. All right. Thank you, LD. And I know Michael Jackson left an indelible mark on the planet. His career is really unparalleled. He was the undisputed king of pop. Music, movies, videos, and there was, for those who remember in the 90s, a video game. So did either of you experience this gem, LD, TJ? No, nope, not at all. I did not, but you know, okay. there was a mini trend of bands having video games. Does anybody but may remember Journey Escape? journey escape vaguely no no it was it was for it was for the old atari 2600 i think that was (laughs) that's the first one i remember it was the little journey like scarab emblem looking thing that that's like their it's their it's the journey thing that's on like all their albums yeah it looks like a beetle beetle on acid Mm -hmm. or something yeah so basically that was flying through space and you dodged stuff and shot things and i don't know what the point of it was it was a, it was a tar 2600 there probably wasn't a point right the point was to play the <laughs> game right. that was it um you played if you played the game and you shot things and and and, and flew. well needless to say by the 90s they had made uh, some strides in that area interestingly enough and it was interesting that Michael Jackson was actually the one to start all this off. He was the catalyst. He expressed interest in doing a video game in 1988. So if we remember one of our previous episodes on Michael Jackson, we've done two, three, maybe. Uh, the point is, at this point in his career, Michael was certainly on top. The Bad Album come out a year prior. The Smooth Criminal video, as we all discussed in the last episode, came out in October of 1988. And Michael was well known for, he loved children. He loved toys. He loved games. He was kind of a kid at heart in that sense. So he thought the next level would be to create a video game. So he actually went around saying that he wanted to develop a game that kids could play and quote, capture his persona. So Michael goes to Sega 
And as you many remember at this point, this was the beginning of the 16-bit console wars. Sega had lost the had launched the Genesis. Uh, the Super Nintendo would later overtake that as console supreme in the 16-bit series, but that's a big topic for another time. And Sega said, okay, let's do it. So they went into development, but Michael was adamant about one thing. He did not want a violent game. That was going to be a problem because the very model that Sega had put in place was the beat-em-up model. Now, how many of you are familiar with those types of games? Is that kind of like, what is it, Turok? No, no, Turok. Think more Double Dragon, Golden Axe. The, the description that Which one is was the one that was like you'd pick up chicken, like mm, chicken, and then like you'd punch people? That was any of them. <laughs> they all had that. <laughs> they all had, but yeah, they all had basically, chicken. All of them had chicken? Well, they had some kind of vittle that you would find. Yeah, like, no, no, a, no, no, no. It was specifically chicken. And you go, mm. And, and then it was like, and then you keep it, fighting. Was, it was a side scroller. So it was more like Mario, but like you couldn't go backwards, but you can only go forwards. And then you have to like fight people. Was it Street Fighter? Kung Fu. Kung Fu. Well, think of that style. And I, that's a really good example, TJ, because actually when we get to the second iteration of this game, that's going to be a valuable sort of framework for this. The beat-em-up, which is described, and this is the best language I've ever heard in an article about Moonwalker, is, quote, a genre featuring hand-to-hand combat between the protagonist and an improbably large number of opponents. So, Mortal Kombat. Well, Mortal Kombat's one-on-one. That's okay. single fights. So Michael didn't want a violent game. They're like, well, we're developing a game where you just hit everybody. So how do we solve this? The answer, dance magic. That was the answer. So what did this mean? That means Michael would perform his signature dance moves and they would emit magic, which would defeat the enemies. So I'm sorry, I'm going to stop you right there because I'm going to be super angry at you later because now all I'm going to think about is dance, magic, dance, Dance, magic, magic, dance. dance. You're welcome. I put David Bowie in your head. Is that the worst thing I could have done? I mean, you could have put him in, you know what? Never mind. (laughs) so basically michael would do like a dance yeah he'd make a noise like that he would do like a dance kick and little stars would come out and that would be what defeated the enemies so the game had two different versions the first was an arcade version which was released in july of 1990 now was that the best thing to come out in 1990 well here's what i can tell you one month before that, there was the best. It was a collection of the best on EMI Records in June of 1990. That was the best of Manfred Mann's Earth Band. <laughs> oh, who gets to do it? Oh, I. Well, oh, definitely TJ. TJ, TJ has okay. to do it. Oh yeah, because I probably have some leftover phlegm from having a cold. So uh, yeah. this, this maybe this will be. It. Oh my god, okay. Wow. We're gonna oh stop you right there. It's like we're gonna have to start that over again. You just made it sound like you were being exercised. It was not human. That was are you okay? Do I need a young priest and an old priest? Yes. Yeah, and a crucifix. And I'll you know what? Never mind. Um <laughs> back to one. <laughs> Luckily, there is a parental warning on this episode. Yeah, we'll get it. Thank God. About plaster penises. Ladies and gentlemen, the Manfred Man's Earth Band, reference of the Rock and Roll Heaven podcast, has been put to bed and officially satisfied. Wait, is it, is it no longer federally mandated? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the feds are still on us. Oh, yeah. Oh, dear. Okay. That's why we have a PO. All right. So I actually, a uh, funny story about the fairly mandated Manfred Man's 
preference of the podcast this week. I actually told Will this episode's so bad that he either had to do it at the beginning or we would not do one at all. Like I called it. I was like, you have to do it at the beginning because we are not going to have one in the middle of the effing episode. And you'll notice that there's something missing in the episode later on. I will point it out at the end of the episode. Okay. <laughs> but we got Manfred Bannon and that's really all. But, that but we got Manfred yeah. I mean, I mean you're, all, your, your, all of your, you know, Michael Jackson and making big old bunny Michael Jackson content. I mean, that's really secondary to, you know, Manfred Mann, generally. Isn't it though? Isn't it? And so was, you know, Eddie Van Halen and um, Dusty Springfield and Jim Croce. Well, it, it really, yeah. really, really, we foist, we foist this stuff on you just so we can get to Manfred Mann. That's the point. That, that seems about accurate. It's a long con. All right. All right. Well, back, back, back to Michael. <laughs> Since we just back took to a, the show. Since we took a three-mile detour. On uh, with the show. This is it. <laughs> so in July of 1990, the arcade version came out. This game allowed up to three players who controlled three different versions of Michael. One was dressed in white one was dressed in red, and one was dressed in black. The view was a three-quarter view, which I'm sure you guys remember the game Paperboy, right? I do, yes. There you go. Yep. Yes, I do, actually. Think of that perspective, like over top, but shifted 70. Now, wasn't know, like Bart's, Bart's Nightmare, like the Simpsons game Bart's yes. Nightmare? That was the same thing, right? Similar. Like, if, you go back, yeah. if you go back far enough, I want to say the first one of those I remember was Battlezone. Oh my, yes. Yeah, very good. Yeah, similar concept. Kind of a diagonal okay. sort of approach. Yep. Yep. And that's what you had. And basically you were Michael Jackson. You would dance, fight your way through all these levels and tons of enemies. But if you found Bubbles the Chimp, you would be transformed into Mecha Michael, which was a giant robot that shot colorful lasers. <laughs> this, this was actually part of the game. Good God. Now, the best part, though, was the dance. Everything is just so weird. Oh, oh, it gets better. The dance magic mechanic. So if you manage to get your power meter up to full, you could basically launch a dance sequence in which a spotlight would come down on Michael. He would start dancing. All the enemies on screen would start dancing with him, but they couldn't keep up. So by the end of the song, they would all fall over and be defeated. Oh my God. It was like your wipe mechanic. <laughs> wow. And the songs would vary. Some levels you would have bad, smooth criminal, beat it, or another part of me. So it depended on which level you're in, which song you would get. Now, this was secondary to the console version, which was released on the Sega Genesis in August of 1990. And this is one that me and my friend Doug ended up starting to play as a joke, but got really into it and actually played it all the time. Now, TJ, you had mentioned earlier sort of that kind of side-scrolling model of Contra. That was more of this game. It was like a okay. side-scrolling, go upstairs and on platforms. You were still going around the level, and the goal was to rescue children. You try to find them hidden throughout the level until you finally find Bubbles, and Bubbles guides you to the end boss. He jumps on your back and starts pointing in the right direction, so you have this monkey, and you're running around the board trying to figure out where the boss is. Mm -hmm. And the levels were patterned after Michael's music videos. They had a nightclub, which was designed like the Smooth Criminal video. They had like a night street kind of a bad thing and then they have a graveyard so we all know what that is and then it got really kind of strange because there was like a cave and your enemies were giant crabs it was it was very bizarre as you got into the later stages and they still had the, the dance mechanic where you could make everybody dance giant crabs yeah they have giant crabs yeah, that, that seems to really fit everything yeah. else you just said but, well but, there's <laughs> there's a videos and songs and spotlights and dance and giant crabs 
and then giant maniacal crab. You could you could really tell the level designers the level designers were running out of gas by like the fourth or fifth level. They were like, "Oh, you're because in a cave," and there are you, crabs. If yeah. you guys haven't noticed, there's so little in Michael Jackson's life to draw from. It's almost like we don't know anything about the man. But how, how he, do you build how do you build a game based on and someone? Then, and, then, knows? and then he pulls out a cantata blade and fights the basis from air supply. So <laughs> take my money. Take my money. Hey, uh, tell tell Shane Lee's gang to get his friends back on that game. I know. Call Bethesda. Call, call Bethesda. Call 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 Bethesda. Call Rockstar. We've got money on Mike, our hands. We've got Michael versus air supply. This is gold. <laughs> He, he, here's the best here's the, the greatest time part that michael jackson and air supply are ever going to be mentioned <laughs> in even remotely this close he, here is the best part though of, of the side scroller because you remember on a side scroller you could move left you could move right and if there was like a staircase you pushed up on the pad and you could go up the stairs or down the stairs or whatever for some reason if you were just standing there and you pushed up on the d-pad the michael avatar would thrust his hips forward and go oh now, if you did Holy this, crap. it had no bearing on the game whatsoever. It didn't hurt enemies. It didn't make you invulnerable. You didn't get points. You just did it. So it was kind of like when you're playing Destiny and they start doing the Gundam style or like the yes. rock where they like- It has no purpose, up. yes. Yeah, it's got, so it's just useless. Yeah, you just sit there and go, woo! And, 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 yet, and yet they found a way to make- crabs an important part of the story yes yes and yep. crabs crabs so they, and him pelvic thrusting and screaming Ooh! needless to say many many around was lost because of that mechanic uh so michael jackson's moonwalker was at the time of its release one of the highest grossing games of 1990 so it did very well the console version actually was added to GameSpot's list of greatest of all time games in 2004 wow and that would not be the last time Michael would appear in a video game. He would actually come back for two more releases on the Sega system, Space Channel 5, and he was an unlockable character in Ready to Rumble 2, which was a boxing game. And apparently if you did certain things, you could unlock Michael Jackson and he was unblockable. So no matter what he did, he would hit you. So <laughs> that yeah, was... when I think of when I think of uh, pugilism, Michael jackson certainly is among the first to spring to mind because you know nintendo was thinking michael jackson's punch out what's missing here yes so needless to say that was the moonwalker video game i have a lot of fun uh, memories of that i was hoping that it was going to be like uh, did you ever play asteroids oh many times yeah you know where you're just like the little ship in the middle of the screen and there's big mm -hmm. asteroids like flying around you have to shoot them okay so like instead of asteroids it's like giant michael jackson heads and in the middle is like macaulay culkin with a a machete or something I mean, wow. i've got to work on it it'd be a very different game <laughs> I, but I, I, I think I, I think our uh michael jackson versus air supply uh yeah. battle to the death showdown that's that's got potential that, that, is what that. The, that is what the gamers want yes i don't i never played it i, I don't think i don't recall ever played it in the arcades or on uh, a home uh, system that i remember oh it was there oh it was <laughs> which is a real shame we we could have had some fun with that because 1990s is about when, uh, you know, uh, or 1990 ish, late 80s, early 90s. That's when a lot of the arcades started to disappear. Sadly, yeah. Because, yeah, because Nintendo was, and Sega were just murdering them. And it's like, yeah. well, I'll just, I'll just have a home system and, and, and play in my bedroom and I don't have to go to the mall. That, that's accurate. I, I remember that. 
Like we, okay. So like there's a TV show that I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with because I feel like our listeners skew toward the nostalgic. And there's a show on Netflix called Stranger Things. And they, they had some time in the third season where they would go to the arcade. We just never did that as kids because we didn't have an arcade because our town is sad. See, I grew up in New Jersey, which is the land of malls. So it was inevitable that if your parents well, had to buy stuff, you'd get dropped off at the arcade. Now, it's there was happened. a small one uh, behind the uh, Mr. Quicks. Like a, there was like a little spare room that was about the size of, I don't know, a bathroom. <laughs> it was a tiny little place <laughs> that had like five video games in it. And then there was one over in Union. And then I, I would go occasionally to the mall in Spartanburg. And they had a really big, that's where I got to play like really cool games like like uh, uh, like Dragon's, Dragon's Lair. Oh, Dragon's Lair. They cost 50 cents and suck. We should do a whole podcast. We should just do an entire podcast on video games one day. Just one of our (laughs) slapmates. Just just call me. I am so in on that. LD, you you know that's my fault. Why do you need to call my brother? I'm the one that runs this podcast. (laughs) Wait a minute. Call Pantheon. You're married to me, and I am sisters with the other one. (laughs) With the other one. (laughs) The other one. (laughs) He who shall not be named. All right, so I, I uh, is that it for the video game? Yeah, that's it. And actually, you can still get this game. Obviously, there's secondhand copies out there if anyone has a working Genesis, which apparently some people do. But there are uh, mod versions available online. So if you're really hankering to play this game, you can go online, download an emulator, and play Michael Jackson's Moonwalker. Oh, wow. Wow. That's interesting. That's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. All right, so uh, that's all the fun that we're going to have this week, kids. Aww. Um I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, we, we trend dark after this, you've said, so. Yeah, it, it doesn't get good. It, this week is, is it's going to be a little bit darker. Because uh, if you guys remember last time we met, we covered the story about Jordy Chandler. He was the one that his mom kind of pushed for a friendship with, with Michael. So two weeks after he met him, Michael actually called him up and invited him to his quote unquote hideout, which was an apartment in Century City. And it's funny because most of his family and his staff had never been to, they'd never actually seen it. They had heard that there was a rumor that he had had one, but, but nobody that he was close to had ever actually seen it. And that just tells you that this is the place where he would go to escape when he didn't want to deal with anybody else. Michael told him that he had an arcade at the apartment, so maybe he had his own game, uh, and he was pretty sure that Jordy would have fun. Of course, Jordy wanted to go, and he asked his mom permission, and she said no, because he had to study. But in the weeks to come, Michael would call Jordy, and the two of them became fast friends. On the 27th of June, 1992, Michael embarked on the dangerous tour. It was the first of 39 performances on the first leg of that tour, which uh, from all the articles that I've read and seen were he kind of bucked the Americans by having that take place in Munich, Germany at the Olympic stadium, uh, which me and Will the Thrill have actually been to because I have some sort of weird obsession with stadiums that were built specifically for the Olympics and the artwork held therein. I don't know what it is, but even when we went to Vancouver, I was like, we have to go find the the, the Olympic art. And we did. The Wait. Braves actually played in um, 
what was the stadium they built for the Atlanta Olympics in 96 and they've already torn it down and moved out. That, that sadly that's what happens like these cities build these giant stadiums and try to make it habitable for the Olympics but the fact is it's not very profitable. Hey LD I hate to interrupt you but we do need to take a short break just to hear from our sponsors. Maryland sports fans, there's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Betfred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer, and more. Visit the Betfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Long Shots Off-Track Betting. Go to BetfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, we're back. All right, great. Let's get back to Michael Jackson. All right, so the Dangerous Tour was, again, a really big production. Like the big special effects, the lighting, dancers, musicians, and the hits that he performed on this were You Want to Be Starting Something, Thriller, Billie Jean, Beat It, and Four Songs from the Dangerous Album. And at the end of the show, Michael appeared to strap on a jetpack and just like rocket out of the stadium. But it was actually a stunt double that did the trick. And that trick was actually created by David Copperfield. Fun fact. Fun fact. <laughs> Fun fact. Um, so uh, he had actually sold the rights to the Dangerous Tour to HBO for... Uh, I have $420 million and I feel like that's high, but that's the highest anyone has ever paid for a live concert. When the network broadcast the final show, the first leg of the tour, HBO gained its highest ratings up until that time. So, I mean, that just kind of tells you like the pull that Michael had, like they spent so much money and this is before you could share your password. Like you actually had to have HBO. You had to have a subscription. You had to subscribe to HBO. Yes. It couldn't be a, like, I, I stole my friend's password kind of thing. <laughs> I so, wonder I wonder if uh, Garth Live in um, uh, Central Park beat it. I did not actually look. That was, on, that was on HBO, wasn't it? I don't remember. I think it was, but I'm not, I'm not positive. But anyway, I'm, I'm sure the, the, the audience was mammoth at that point. Yeah. So he's got so much going on right now. He's got the dangerous tour going on. And like, that's enough to like tear anybody down. So it's like a wonder to think that he could be like having his mind on anything else, but he would actually find the time to call Jordy on a weekly basis, just to be able to chat with Jordy. Michael also had another friend that was 11 year old Brett Barnes. And he was also friends with nine year old Prince Albert von Turnin Texas. I'm probably butchering that. Oh I'm sorry. I think it's Bavaria. He was the son of Gloria von Turnham of Bavaria, and he was already one of the richest children in the world at age nine. So what would they talk about when he called? They would talk about their hobbies and what's happening at school, and they would talk about Neverland Ranch or his charity work and how he raised funds for needy children's organizations all around the world with the Heal the World Foundation. He had also plans for a World Congress of Children to bring together youngsters from 100 nations. Children are the hope of the world, Michael explained. Now, in January, Michael's agenda was pretty darn full. He had the NAACP Image Awards and the American Music Awards on the 25th of January. He didn't have both of those on the same day. That would be ridiculous. Uh, but each performance required days of rehearsals at a time. And then he had the Super Bowl on the 31st of January, where he performed, and I'm the, you can find this on YouTube, and the video clip itself is ridiculous because 
he like pops out from the screen like there's screens up and like he pops out of the screen and he stands there for like a minute and a half two minutes and people are just screaming but what had happened was at this point he was the first big name super bowl halftime performer yes because other networks had got when the super bowl is on nobody's going to watch what anybody else has everybody watches the super bowl but what people had successfully done was counter programmed against halftime because it was nothing right it was just you know analysis and people talking and stuff so fox did like a special episode of the simpsons once and i think maybe in living color one time and it was and they had success doing it so they're like ah, okay we have to start getting like name artists to, to play halftime at super bowl and i think he was the first the first of those okay if I remember so technically you're not technically wrong what they would have on is like the Super Bowl because we've had I've had multiple arguments with people about this because every time they announce people who are doing the Super Bowl halftime show, there is some sort of like divide where people don't realize other people that have been on the program before. And everybody's always like, oh, the halftime show is going to suck. It's always sucked. And and the thing is, I believe it was 1990, the new kids on the block did like a salute to Disney and like all these other characters showed up and they had like ice skating at one point and that's a, not a fever dream. They um, had, they had to, uh, up with up with people was the halftime show one year. Uh, well, I'm, I'm saying prior to Michael Jackson. Yeah. Prior to Michael Jackson, once upon a time, they had like high school bands. That's and all that they would have climb. is like, they would literally have a salute to, the farmers of America, and then they oh, would play like hometown songs and stuff like or that, or like a dog, or or the dog that climbed trees, or and legitimately, really up with people one year. Yeah, so like before Michael Jackson, it there was no competitive edge to be on the Super Bowl. Like I rem I remember exactly what I did when New Kids on the Block performed on the Super Bowl halftime show. I do believe it was either eighty nine or ninety is I ran around the house in a circle because like our house, you could run through every room in a circle. Do you remember that? Cause like the living room led into the dining room, led into the kitchen, led into the pantry, led, led into mom's room, led into the little hallway, the hallway led and led back into the living room. Yes. Yeah. And I ran around that circle screaming, and you kids on the block are on that thing. I didn't even watch the show. I just screamed that they were on. And, um, and so, yeah. So prior to Michael Jackson showing up, it wasn't competitive. Nobody cared about the halftime show. This was also the point where the Bills were perennially losing in the Super Bowl, wasn't it? Uh, yes, like, four, like, yes, <laughs> yes. When the Bills lost four straight years to the Super Continuously, Bowl, continuously, yes. And this kind of broke up the the yes, to, to the Skins, and then twice yeah. to the Cowboys, and I think once to the Giants, mixed in there somewhere. You got to see lots of Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas, and uh, up with people, and up with people. And then you got Michael Jackson. So there you go. What what Michael is Jackson. your what is your thing with up with people? I don't understand. <laughs> Did, have you ever seen up with people? No. Go like look them up. When we're done recording, you know what? I might go find an up with people performance and put it on on our Facebook page. Fair enough. You might have to. It, it is. It, it is the up up with people. We'll smile wherever we go. <laughs> and if you if you think about it that way, the they Super Bowl like halftime show. The Super Bowl halftime show then went from like zero to two hundred and 
40 because you have up with people and then you have Michael Jackson. I mean, talk about that's not just a turn. That's a complete and total just launch from where they were. Yeah. And and the crazy thing was when I found out that you actually the artist actually has to pay to be on the Super Bowl. Was that the case even then? I don't know if it was the case then, but I know later at later times like they, they would pay to perform, which is crazy. So, and I do have a little bit more info about prior to Michael's performance, but he performed with 750 choir members and I have 98,000 flashcards to promote Heal the World. That seems like a lot. And at the end of the show, 3,500 children joined Michael on the stage for Heal the World and 120 million people tuned in to see that. So now, like, well, modern modern Super Bowl halftime shows can literally trace its roots to Michael Jackson, who took the stage. And that one was actually here. Did you know that? It was at the Rose Bowl. That's right. That Super Bowl was hosted at the Rose Bowl, yeah. Yeah, and it was the Dallas Cowboys versus the Buffalo Bills, and <laughs> they literally Zambonied their asses. 52 to 17. Yeah, that was, a, that was a boat race. How do you lose that bad? You're the Bills. Yeah, okay. Sure. Uh, yeah, the Cowboys were like way better than you. The AFC was weak. Well, this is the early 90s Cowboys too, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, this is like, yeah, this is like uh, Aikman, Emmett, uh, Novacek, Irvin, Russell Merrill. Yeah, like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. As, as a Giants fan, I hated them. <laughs> so now before this, that halftime show was usually like an afterthought and it was usually college marching bands up with people uh mickey rooney and chubby checker that was and, a thing yeah mickey wait wait, wait. mickey rooney <laughs> not together mickey rooney oh, was nuts. mickey rooney was 21 and chubby checker was 22 i had the best image of my is head. xx is 10 right so xx is 10 20, 20. Yeah. xx is 20 yeah, so it's 20. So Mickey Rooney was 21 and Chubby Checker was. What is what? Mickey Rooney? <laughs> Mickey Rooney, yes. Like the little short actor, like Mickey Rooney? That's, uh, like, this is, this is what I have is Mickey. This is what my notes say. What did Not, he do? What, like, what did I'm he assuming, do? well, I'm assuming, okay, there were times where Disney would take over <laughs> and do like a salute to Disney and he was a, he was a Mouseketeer. It's the so appearance of Lord Fauntleroy. Mickey Rooney? <laughs> this is this is this is what we've cho- chosen to lose our minds over. Yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the- for the Super Bowl halftime show, Mickey Rooney. <laughs> it was a tribute to the Lollipop Guild. Oh my god. Like Mickey Rooney and I'm Gary so Coleman. So- and- okay, so I'm sorry to Italians. <laughs> I'm sorry to the French. <laughs> I'm sorry to anyone under five six. Oh my goodness. <gasps> I'm just going to, this. we're just going to be apologizing. Will you apologize to the Italians? Do you want me to do my Italian thing again? No, I do that not. You, nope. Did no. you apologize do, to profusely for last time? Do not do it. Do Was not. Andy Rooney not available? <laughs> All right. Why did, why did they have up with people last year? I don't like that. <laughs> I oh think my God. that's not Mickey Rooney. No, that's Isn't, Andy Rooney. That's Andy Rooney. Andy Rooney. <laughs> <laughs> it's our tri- it's our tribute to the uh, uh this year the super bowl does a uh, salute to the wizard oh boy here's andy rooney all right so or, or people with uh, unibrows 
Oh, my goodness. All right. So in 1992, Fox actually lured 22% of the audience away from the Super Bowl by counter-programming a special episode of In Living Color. There you go. That was it. And then the NFL realized, oh, crap, we have to do better. And so it turned to Radio City Productions to mount something spectacular, which in turn offered the spot to Jackson. He asked for a million dollars. And at the time, that literally would have been a bargain for him. But the NFL didn't pay their halftime performers. And that policy still remains. That's what I was talking about. And then, but but acts like Justin Timberlake, which I'm sure we'll touch on a little bit later, saw a 534% jump in song sales after he performed in front of the Super Bowl audience of 100 million in at 2018. Right. That's um, so he had a he had a 524% uh sales increase and a and a mammoth uptick in booby reveals. Nope, that yeah, that was no that was 2000 we're, that was earlier. That, that, right? was a, that was a, that was actually 04. That was, that was that 04. Was, yep, that was 04. That's why I said we will talk about it probably because that's a part of Michael Jackson's legacy as well. Um because that was his sister. And then what I would argue and people are I would love to get the, you know what this this should be like this week's chat. Like what was your favorite halftime show of all time because my personal favorite other than Michael's was Lady Gaga's. Because Girl had costume changes. She jumped off of the roof of the stadium and there were drones and she was, she just never stopped. And I loved it. So her sales actually increased tenfold. So, you know, being on the, being on the big show, you know, being, being part of the big game is, can be lucrative for people. So in the end, the league actually partnered with Frito-Lay to offer hundred thousand dollars in donations plus a 30 second tv spot for heal the world which was actually founded a year earlier to improve conditions for children throughout the world in a dramatic start to his set jackson was ejected onto the stage from below and stood frozen for 90 seconds he didn't move and people he were just losing their minds yes and you couldn't yep. hear anything it you, was just thunderous it's it's amazing when you go back and watch the footage it's crazy that he's just he's not even and then when he turns his head, people lose their minds. So he's he launched into a medley of Jam, Billie Jean, Complete with the Moonwalk, and Black or White, concluding with We Are the World and then Heal the World, surrounded by 3,500 L.A. area kids. With 133 million tuning in, it remains the most watched halftime show as, as per this article when I was uh, writing the article. And it's one of the highest rated telecasts of all time. That being said, this is where the fun ends. Seven months later, Jackson would face his first accusation of child sexual abuse. On February 10th, 1993, Oprah sat down with Michael Jackson for what would be the most watched interview in television history. Michael, who was a fiercely private entertainer, had refused to give an interview for 14 years. And so this was an unprecedented live event, which took place before any allegations were made about sexual abuse. He drew a worldwide audience of 90 million people, 90 million people. It was the most exciting interview I have ever done. Oprah said it certainly was going to be the most watched interview I have ever done. And I would, I'd say that, that, that probably still holds up. Although the interview that she just did with Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, it might've come close to it might have come close to it because that was placed online. So it was like a worldwide thing. At this time, there was no internet. Oprah has done thousands of interviews since 
she sat down with Michael, but she can still remember her excitement going to the King of Pop's home. We were coming into the gates of Neverland and it was the, the moment in the Wizard of Oz she said, literally, it was like I was going to see the wizard. We couldn't believe it. I felt like a kid. During the interview, Michael spoke to Oprah about missing out on a normal childhood, saying, I remember going into the recording studio and there was a park across the street. And I'd see all the kids playing and I would cry. It'd make me sad that I'd have to go to work instead. People wonder why I always have children around because I find the thing that I never had through them. Disneyland, amusement parks arcade games. I adore that stuff because when I was little, it was always work, work, work. Looking back, Oprah said that she realized that moment that she had a fondness for Michael. He was very likable and I could tell that I really, really liked him, she said. After this interview, I thought that I could be his friend because I felt like he was really honest. Michael's relationship with his father, Joe Jackson, had made plenty of headlines throughout the years. When Michael spoke with Oprah, he was extremely open about the sensitive subject, saying that his father called him ugly, beat him, and frightened him. I love my father, but I don't know him. Sometimes I do get angry. I don't know. I don't know him the way that I'd like to know him, he said. My mother's wonderful. To me, she's perfection. I wish that I could understand my father. When Oprah asked Michael why Joe beat him, Michael wasn't entirely sure. I don't know if I was his golden child or, or whatever it was. Some may call it a strict disciplinarian or whatever, but he was very strict. He was very hard. Just his looking at you would scare you, Michael said. There have been times where he would come see me and I would get sick. I would start to regurgitate. Joe Jackson has reportedly denied any allegations that he beat Michael. But I mean, the thing is, after literally 17 episodes, I think we can deduce that there was abuse in Michael's home. Is anybody going to disagree with me on that? No, we've talked about it on this show. Right. Yeah. And, and Joseph's behavior alone would be qualified, I think, as psychological abuse or emotional abuse, something you know, like that. Yeah, he's been he's been under his father's thumb for so many years. And even when he like breaks away from him, he still has to deal with him on a family level. When he was the manager, it was business and, and family, and it's still family. Like he, he never, he, you can't fire your father. You can't fire your dad from being your dad. And there's just no escape from him. Uh, Oprah said that she was surprised that Michael was so candid in his revelations about his father. Even saying it, Michael tried to temper it by saying, please don't be mad at me, Joseph. So obviously, you know that he still carried that fear and pain. She said, look in his eyes when he starts to talk about his father. His eyes shift. So in 1993, and we actually talked about this the last time we met, the controversy of Michael's skin color was at an all-time high. He kept getting whiter and whiter and whiter, and nobody understood why, Oprah said. Anybody who knew Michael Jackson will tell you when you're close to him, he has absolutely no pigmentation in his skin. You are looking at veins when you look at his hands. You're seeing through to the blue veins, and they're very, very apparent. And that's the startling thing. Nobody ever talks about this, but it takes you aback at first because you're looking at a person who's almost translucent. And that's coming from Oprah, who was sitting literally like three feet away from him. In one of the most memorable moments in Oprah's interview, Michael told her that he had a skin disorder that destroyed the pigmentation of his skin. The disease was called vitiligo. And we actually talked about vitiligo in the last episode. It's your, your body lacks melanin. This is what his family said. It was something that he couldn't help. People always make up these stories that I don't want to be who I am. And that hurts me. He said, this is a problem for me. I can't control it. But what about the millions of people who sit in the sun to become darker, to become other than what they are? Nobody says anything about that. And, and how true is that? 
Like we're totally fine with someone sitting in the sun and tanning or using the lotion to become darker or going to the tanning beds. We're fine with that. But if somebody becomes whiter because of a medical condition, all of a sudden we got to have this friggin' rumor mill going, right? Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, especially like you said, it is a medical condition. Yeah. And Michael told Oprah that he used makeup to control his blotchiness, but he's never purposely bleached his skin. That was one of Michael's most defensive moments in the interview. Oprah said, you can see that he actually gets really testy there about the skin issues. I think in 1993, nobody understood what it was. Nobody knew anything about vitiligo. And I could see that that was one of those areas that was really sensitive to him, obviously. Yeah. And that's true because like now we actually have a supermodel who has vitiligo. She appeared, I believe, on America's Next Top Model, like season 21 or 22. And she had, you know, she's got uh, an extreme case of vitiligo. And I, I think she's beautiful, but she's out there and she's giving representation and she's giving a face to this disorder. And I'm, they didn't have that in 93. And uh, plastic surgery was another thing that they talked about in the early 90s. His appearance had changed so much that since he was a child that there wasn't much speculation that he had had work done. It was actually more speculation on what he had had. When Oprah broached the subject, Michael wouldn't get into specifics, but he had said that he had less plastic surgery than most people thought. You can count them on two fingers, he said, which is actually quite clever. If you count like on each finger, like 10 times or something. Hey. <laughs> I remember when he said that and it's like, yeah. and didn't he say that like he, he had a breathing problem and that's how he explained away getting nose jobs and stuff. Yeah, well, that that was actually true. It may not have been in that interview. I, I distinctly remember him saying that at some point. That that actually was true. Um, he had fallen and broken his nose, which gave him an excuse to get the the rhinoplasty done initially. And the first doctor who he got his first nose job nose job from apparently botched it. Right. And so it gave it made it actually kind of difficult for him to breathe, which made it difficult in turn for him to sing. And as we know, Michael Jackson kind of needs to be able to do that. So, right. But then it went well beyond that, obviously, as time went on. Yeah. He did admit to having a nose job, but he said most of the cosmic cosmetic surgery rumors were false. I've never had my cheekbones done. I've never had my eyes done, never had my lips done. And regarding his appearance at the time, Michael said that he wasn't pleased. I'm not trying to look in the mirror. He said, I'm never happy with what I see. And I, you know what, like, that's probably like 80% of the world. Like you look in a mirror and you can at least point out like 10 things that you want to change and the rest of the world doesn't notice it but you do and that's why I you know I've thought about certain plastic surgeries and I don't think at a certain like there's a certain line that you can cross where it gets to be too much but I think if there's like if you want and I always say wait until your face has developed don't get something at like 16 17 18 wait till you're developed and you grow into or out of certain things before you get anything done, because it's going to change anyway. But like, if you're 40 and you're like, oh, I would like to get my chin done, go for it. If you got the money and it would make you happy, but don't do it for the rest of the world, do it for you. And that's my, that's Lindley's, Lindley's uh, plastic surgery corner. LD's plastic surgery corner. That's it. A new podcast coming to Pantheon. <laughs> so we're going to touch on this a little bit later and a lot more in the next episode. But in 1994, Michael married Lisa Marie Presley. Now, the marriage only lasted two years, but when Michael talked with Oprah a year before he got married, everybody was wondering 
if and who he dated. Michael told Oprah that he was in a relationship with Brooke, Street, with Brooke Shields. And then Oprah asked the question that everybody, it was cringy. The next question that Oprah asked was cringy. She asked him, are you a virgin? That is not something that you want in the world. That's a cringy question. Sorry, Queen. Michael never answered. He said, I am a gentleman. It, that's something that's private, that shouldn't be spoken about openly. You can call me old-fashioned if you want, but that's very personal. And I think he handled that question very well. Oprah said that she hadn't been sure how or if she was going to ask Michael about sex, but she knew it was something that her audience wanted to know. This was some sort of a mystery about him. At the same time, he was holding his crotch and wants to rock with us all night, but we don't know who he's rocking with. Like, that's none of your business. I'm sorry. I don't care who you are. I don't look at, give me a celebrity, and a Daniel Craig. I don't look at Daniel Craig and go, wonder who he's dating. I don't care. That doesn't make them more or less talented. I don't know. I've just never been into the dating lives of celebrities because I feel like that's none of my business. Do they sing well? Cool. Do they act well? Great. Does their performance change based on who they're dating? Well, there's only like three people that I can name that, that really take their relationships to be part of their uh, act. And they are very successful. But do I care? No, just make a good product. Mm, but that puts you in the minority. Let's be honest. Does it? Do you care? Let me ask. Do yeah. you care? Not, do not, you care? Not really, but not really. But there's a reason that that stuff's on the front of the tabloid magazines every single week. Such and such is dating such and such. Such and such and such and such are back together. Such and such and such and such are going to have a baby. Like it, it's, yeah, I don't know why people care, but they do. I just, I just never, I don't know. I just never cared about that. Like it's never been like a, a focal point that helps me enjoy what they're creating any better. Literally the only person that I can think that uses their personal relationships to create good content is Taylor Swift. And oh my God, I can already feel Swifties trying to eat me alive. No. She creates good stuff with or without a relationship. She does. I'm just saying, like, I don't, I, one of my favorite actors is Nicolas Cage. And the only reason why I know he's married is because Twitter told me. <laughs> like, that is, that is how I found out, was through Twitter. But like TV said, the tabloids love this stuff. I have, but why? Why, why do we care? Why is this society, do we, do, do we think it's any of our business who anybody is dating? I don't know why, but they do. They're fascinated by who's had sex with who, who's dating who. I mean, there's an entire billion dollar industry basically built on that. I there know. really is. It's just weird and to now, me. And now, to be fair, now there are some celebrities who use their relationships at the moment to promote something. Yeah. That happens. Sure. Yeah. But then you have people like... <laughs> And you're gonna be like, how do you know this? Because it was an article. Um, was that like Bill Hader and Anna Kendrick are dating? And I'm like, that's great. I'm rooting for you guys. It's awesome. But like, would that have changed me going to see the latest Anna Kendrick movie or the next Bill Hader guest star on whatever? No, like I don't I don't care. Like, I like the two funny people that I like got together, but Am I going to follow it like a hawk? No, I I barely remember that I'm married. I don't know what what. what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to see if you're still awake, that's honey. A, that's a tactic. I'm here. Me. I'm listening. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I again, like, I just I don't I don't get it. But that's a very strange thing to be asking at this time. What thirty mid thirties grown man? Well, and of the two questions, I feel like the the one that's the most cringy to me was like are you a virgin 
who wants to answer that? Like, well, that's not a question yeah, that, that, that should be asked. That's what I'm that's, that's a, first of all, it's a really odd question to ask a 30 something year old man or yeah, 37, 30 something year old person in general. It's, it's a weird thing to literally be asking anybody. Like that's, it is. that is literally one of the most private things that you could ask somebody. I completely understand why he, he would back off that question and be like, tell her in the politest way, that's none of your business, you know? So anyway, sure. all right, I'm going to get off my soapbox. Now, if there's one dance move for which Michael will forever be remembered, it is unquestionably the moonwalk. During that interview, Oprah got a private lesson in the signature move. Toward the end of the interview, Oprah talked with him about his life's purpose. To give in the best way that I can through song and through dance and through music, Michael said. I believe that's the reason for all of our existences, for the existence of art. And I feel like I was chosen as an instrument to give music and love and harmony to the world. In the closing moments of that special, Oprah asked Michael what he would want to be most known for. And Michael thought that she was asking what he wanted to be remembered for. And Oprah quickly corrected him. She, like Michael's fans, had never imagined that he would be gone so soon. Obviously, if I had known that sitting there talking about the memory of Michael Jackson, I would have let him finish what he wanted to be remembered for. What I remember about Michael the most is the person who he was, was passionate about life, that he was really passionate about work and passionate about his desire to try to be a good force in the world. And so that was the end of the Oprah Jackson interview. Now, after that aired, Jackson and Jordy became close. The National Enquirer ran a feature story titled Michael's New Adoptive Family, implying that Jackson had stolen Jordy from his father, Evan. Jackson invited Jordy and his stepsister and his mother to visit his home, the Neverland Ranch, over the weekends. They would also take trips to Las Vegas and to Florida. And these trips interfere with Jordy's scheduled visits with Evan. And Jordy, of course, would choose to, would you rather stay with your father slash stepfather? Or would you rather, at this time, visit the Neverland Ranch? All right. Now, I'm going to have to explain this to you because this sort of becomes an accelerated timeline for the whole thing. And I do encourage you guys to please go read the book, Michael Jackson, The Magic, The Madness, and the whole story. And it's the edition, which is the 1958 to 2009 edition. It's very specific because I think he put out another edition that happened prior to his death. And this is by the author, J. Randy Terbinelli. And it gives an incredibly detailed story spanning something like three chapters. And this is going to be much, much shorter. So I will say at this time, the article that I was reading and pulling all this information from calls him Jordan or Jordi. And I think that those are interchangeable. So Jordan and Jordi, from my understanding, from reading the books and the articles are the same person. In May, Evan encouraged Jackson to spend more time with Jordy. Evan suggested that Jackson should build an extension onto his house. And then when they were denied planning permission, Chandler, which is Evan, suggested that Jackson buy him a house. In that same month, Jordy and June flew with Jackson to Monaco for the World Music Awards. According to June's lawyer, Michael Freeman, Evan was jealous and felt left out. Upon their return, Jackson stayed at the Schwartz Chandler home for five days. 
Jackson slept in the room with Jordy and his stepbrother. Chandler said that this is when he became suspicious of sexual misconduct by Jackson. Although he said that Jackson and Jordy were clothed when he saw them in bed together and never claimed to have witnessed sexual misconduct, Jordy and Jackson's contact ended in June of 1993. On the 8th of July, 1993, Schwartz phoned Evan to discuss Jordy's relationship with Jackson. Unbeknownst to Evan, Schwartz recorded the phone call. Now, this is a big thing now because in the state of California, we we have two party consent, correct? Will like both parties have to know that we're that you're being recorded? Yeah, and I don't know what other states observe that, but it varies. It varies by it varies by state. Some have two party consent. In South Carolina, where I live, it's only one party has to know it's being recorded. Uh, there are some where uh, it varies. So I guess it depends on where they were at the time, and then where the other person. They you get into some real murky waters when it's like, well. I'm in this state that observes one set of rules and you're in another state that observes another set. So, but yeah, it does vary by state. Yeah. It's sort of whose, whose rules do you play by at that point? Wasn't that like a big thing with the Monica Lewinsky case that uh, Linda Tripp should not have been allowed to submit that because like wherever she was, wherever Monica was, was a one party state. And maybe there, maybe that, that came into play. Well, like technically one was in, Maryland and one was in Virginia or something or one was in DC I don't I don't know I don't know the particulars of that one but that yeah it gets a little murky when you start crossing state lines but it it, it does it always has and still does vary by state yeah so Chandler was hostile about Jackson describing him as evil he said that he had hired the nastiest son of a bitch he could find lawyer Barry Rothman to humiliate Jackson and said once I make the phone call this guy is going to destroy everybody in sight in any devious, nasty, cruel way he can do it. I gave him full authority to do that. And if I go through with this, I win big time. There's no way I lose. I will get everything I want and they will be destroyed forever. Michael Jackson's career will be over and this man is going to be humiliated beyond belief. He will not believe what's going to happen to him beyond his worst nightmares. He will not sell one more record. When Swartz asked how this would affect Jordy, Chandler replied, that's irrelevant to me. The bottom line is, yes, his mother is harming him and Michael is harming him. And I can prove that and I will prove that. It will cost me tens of thousands of dollars to get the information I've got. And you know, I don't have that kind of money, but I'm willing to go down financially. In August, Chandler extracted one of Jordy's teeth. While Jordy was under the effect of the sedative, Evan asked, if Jackson had ever touched his penis. Jordy said yes. Chandler and his legal team approached Jackson asking for 20 million or threatened to take the dispute to criminal court. Jackson refused, said saying no way in hell. A few weeks later, Jackson's legal team made a counteroffer of $1 million. This was declined by Chandler, who then requested 15 million. Jackson refused and lowered his offer to 350,000, which Chandler also refused. On July 15th, child psychiatrist Mantis Abram wrote Rothman, who was seeking an expert opinion to help establish allegations against Jackson. Abram wrote that there was reasonable suspicion of sexual abuse without having met Evan or Jordy. But can we can we just stop for just a second and talk about how Evan extracted a tooth from his mouth because I believe he was a dentist, so that's not weird, but he was under 
the effects of anesthetics when he asked his child this? I think in most cases that would be inadmissible, no? He he's a minor yeah. who is under the influence of a narc like not a, is it a narcotic? Is it considered a narcotic? He's under the influence it, of I, I think so, I think so. You definitely are, are you cannot consent to anything legally or sign anything when you're under the influence of of any drugs or alcohol. Yeah. That, and that, I, that that's for sure. And I, I I'm pretty sure in saying that Evan is the stepdad. And June was previously married to a, a gentleman named Dave. And so if I say Dave at any point, that's who that is. But I don't know if I bring that up. I did. I, you have to understand. I chopped out so much. There's like 50 pages of information in the book that I'm, you know, that I, the book, the main book that I draw from. There was so much information. And so I got the Cliff Notes version of this because it is just. Yeah. I've- I've sat in court enough and covered enough trials and stuff. You cannot, one of the first questions they ask any defendant when they're offered a plea deal is, are you under the influence of any drugs or alcohol? Are you, are you do you suffer from, from any, um, in, you know, any ailments that could impair your uh, decision-making? Like, like you have to be a completely sound mind to do, to submit anything that would be legally binding or admissible in court. You're, you're correct, Will. Got it. Yeah, so. And yeah, when you, you and thank you for clarifying the guy was a dentist, because otherwise I was like, what in the hell? Yeah, what is His going dad on? just decided to extract the tooth. Okay. Yeah, pretty sure he's a dentist. But again, my head is so full of like, this stuff that i'm like was he a dentist or am i just fever dreaming this <laughs> and i don't i don't remember this case specifically so I, I i'm interested to see where this where this ends because then i have another observation but but i'll uh, but i'm gonna let you finish yeah thank you kanye thanks yeezy so he th- this guy abrams wrote that there was reasonable suspicion but he had never even met evan or jordy he also said that if this were a if this were a hypothetical case he would be required by law to report on the matter to the los angeles county department of children's services on august 17th evan took jordy to abrams and told him that he had been molested like flat out, not like there was a chance. He told him that he had been molested. Over the three-hour session, Jordy told Abrams that Jackson had sexually abused him for months and gave graphic accounts of masturbation and oral sex. Jordy repeated these allegations to police and then described Jackson's penis. So this is about specifically about the investigation. So on, and this is so demeaning. And again, all this is said with caution okay for our audience because this is graphic on august 18th 1993 the los angeles police department's sexually exploited children's unit began a criminal investigation into jackson june chandler initially told the police that she did not believe that michael jackson had molested her son however her position wavered a few days later on august 21st a search warrant was issued allowing the police to search neverland ranch police questioned over 30 children who were friends of jackson all stated that he was not a child molester gary herney jackson's chauffeur testified in his deposition to driving Jackson's to Jordy's house at night and collecting him in the morning 
for a period of about 30 days. On August 24th, the day the allegations were made public, Jackson began the third leg of his dangerous world tour in Bangkok. That day, Anthony Pelicano, a private detective hired by Jackson, held a press conference accusing the Chandlers of trying to extort $20 million from Jackson. He did not mention that Jackson had made several counter offers. The Jackson family also held a press conference saying that they unequivocally believed that Michael Jackson was a victim of extortion. On August 26th, Jackson promoters released an audio tape of him apologizing to fans for canceling his second show in two days. According to the county's DCFS reports on August 26th, Jordy had difficulty remembering the time and dates of his alleged molestation, but was consistent in his story. Another investigation source that the police had found no medical or taped evidence that support the allegations. The child abuse case file read that Jordy first told his father about the abuse allegations in spite of Jackson's alleged threats. Jordan claimed that he and his father met with Jackson and his lawyers and confronted him with allegations in effort to make a settlement and avoid a court hearing. Evan had unsuccessfully sought a $20 million movie production financing deal with Jackson and wanted the settlement to avoid going to court. On August 31st, attorney Gloria Allred held a press conference stating that she had been retained on behalf of the Chandlers and implied that a civil suit against Jackson would be made. On September 10th, Allred said that she was off the case, declining further comment as to why. On September 13th, the Chandlers hired Larry R. Feldman, former Los Angeles County Bar Association president. On October 6th of 1993, Jordy underwent a psychiatric interview with Dr. Richard Gardner in New York. Dr. Gardner had formulated PSA, which was Parental Alienation Syndrome, in 1985, a disorder that arises primarily in the context of child custody disputes. Jordy gave his account of what allegedly happened between him and Jackson in May 1993 during their trip to Monaco for the World Music Awards. On November 8th, Police searched the Jackson family home, which was the Havenhurst home, and the Schwartz gave the tape of Chandler's July conversation with Schwartz to the authorities, who leaked it to the press. The recorded conversation was a critical aspect of Jackson's defense against the allegations made against him. Jackson and his supporters argued that he was the victim of a jealous father whose only goal was to extort Jackson. The tape was publicly released by Pelicano and edits had been made, which, you know, would seem suspect. In October of 1994, Mary A. Fisher of GQ reported that it was Chandler who initially accused Jackson of molesting his son before he demanded a screenwriting deal from Jackson instead of going to the police. So Brett Barnes, he was age 11, publicly said that he had shared a bed with Jackson, but insisted that there was no sexual abuse. I was on one side of the bed and he was on the other and it was a big bed. Wade Robson, age 10, told Fox Television, and we will bring this name up again because he was the one that did the documentary Leaving Neverland. And so we will come back to him. But he was age 10, told Fox Television that he too had shared a bed with Jackson, but that nothing sexual happened. That's important because his entire documentary states that he did, and he goes into great detail along with Jimmy Safechuck. So we are going to come back, but I'm going to tell the story now. Several parents complained of 
aggressive investigation techniques by the police. They claim the police frightened their children with lies such as we have nude photos of you and told the parents the children had been molested, even though their children denied it. So how corrupt and screwed up is that? Quite. Yeah. In September 1993, police officers traveled to the Philippines to interview two of Jackson's ex-housekeepers. However, the ex-employees lacked credibility due to a back salary agreement that they had with Jackson. A former security guard made various allegations about Jackson, saying that he was fired because he knew too much, and allegations that he was ordered by Jackson to destroy photos of a naked boy. Instead of reporting this alleged event to the police, he sold the story to hard copy for $150,000. Weird, right? I think it's painfully obvious what's driving these cases, but but please go ahead. I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, it's hard to put my finger on exactly what these folks are looking for, but I got a vague idea. On December 13th, 1993, Jackson's maid, Bianca Francia, alleged that she quit in disgust after seeing Jackson in the shower with a child, but no, did not inform the police. Uh, Lisa D. Campbell reported that Blanca Francia had been fired in 1991 and sold her story to hard copy for $20,000. However, when Diane Diamond interviewed Francia on the show, she denied being fired, but acknowledged that she had been compensated by hard copy. Remember hard copy? Like it was hard copy and a current affair, right? Like grandma, yeah, remember you, current affair. Yeah. Grandma used to yep. watch a current affair all the time. She loved a current affair. I was on a current affair once. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, I was on current affair once. But why? Um, do you remember the Susan Smith um, yep. case yep. in Union, South Carolina? The lady that, uh, the woman that drowned her two kids in the lake. Yep. Um, Michael, Michael. Michael and Alex. Correct. And um, wow. I had a, I actually had a college class with her. Um, what? Interestingly enough. Yeah. And is this um, where I got my, my like passion for true crime? Is maybe, but, but no, my, but my appearance on a current affair was very, very benign. So they had, they were covering the story for, for weeks and months as, as all media was. It knocked OJ off the, the, front page for a little while and there was a lady who was sort of the lady about town kind of busybody, very very nice lady in downtown union south carolina who a current affair i guess wanted like a different angle on the whole proceedings and well let's let's introduce folks to this town instead of just talking about the case and the murders and all that stuff so they basically followed her around downtown as she popped into all these businesses and introduced viewers to this person and that person and this person and that person and this business. And I was sitting, I worked at the radio station then I was in college. I, I think I was reading the weather and I cut the mic off and I turned around and, and there was the, this lady named Barbara and uh, a, a camera person. And I was like, what in the hell? Who are you? <laughs> like, and they were like, oh, I'm such and such. We're from a current affair. <laughs> so I, I was I mean, so again there, there was no I mean I wasn't involved in some salacious story or anything literally like you said and she's like and this is W this is a WBCU radio this is just the voice of our little town and I, this is a fellow named Travis that's reading the weather here <laughs> WBCU WBCU but yeah so that was my little like five or ten seconds of uh of screen time on a current affair i remember the the sound in the triangle like <laughs> maury was the host maury was which one did which one did bill o'reilly used to do i, I want to say hard copy 
A rally used to do one of them. I think it was hard copy. I want to say it's. I want to say it's hard copy because I. Okay, but anyway, yes, and Maury did one. But but it was not just Maury. It was like six different, uh, different anchors, right? Like a different anchor took up a different story. Every like they have like four salacious stories that they would cover. He's a one member. Yeah, yeah, that's that's hilarious. I do not remember you ever being on on hard copy. That's or current affair. That's that's really funny. Yeah. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to find that now. <laughs> but they the, but that whole that whole news story at the time in our little town was massive because they even had to like drain the lake because like a family of eight drove up to the dock and died. Right? No, there there were people who um, yes, there were. Eight, uh, there was a family who ended up going to the spot, the ramp where the 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 boat ramp, I think, where the, the where she had rolled the car down in, and they their emergency brakes failed or something, and they rolled into the lake and they all drowned. There were people who wanted to drain the lake then because they thought it was evil. Yeah. Okay. I, for some reason, but, I they, but they did not. They did not drain the lake. No. So that's our our, our salacious true crime corner from our oh, neck and, of the and, woods. And, oh, there there's some better ones. But you know what? We'll save that for maybe a slap nuts episode. Let's do a slap nuts. There's something I could totally totally tell you that would blow your mind. Oh. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll let's do that next time. So we got we're doing video games and true crime. <laughs> we got this. All right. So so you guys are starting to see a pattern that that these people that are close to Michael who are no longer in his employee are being paid off by hard copy for their stories. And it's really interesting because I think on YouTube there is a clip that says like Jackson's made reveals all and and that it would be splashed like these newspapers would just be splashed with like the most terrible allegations and I mean, I'm pretty sure you guys, without actually having to spell it out, probably know what side I'm on when it comes to this specific story. But, you know, it's this is just, for me, this is just a circus. So on December 2nd, 1993, attorney Charles Matthews held a press conference about his clients allegedly being threatened and harassed by Anthony Pelicano's machinations. Matthews was representing Jackson's former security guard in a wrongful termination lawsuit which was filed on November 22nd. The lawsuit alleged wrongful termination due to, and this is in quotes, firsthand personal knowledge of many of Michael Jackson's nighttime visits with young boys. So here's where it takes a turn because the police also began an investigation into Evan Chandler for extortion, finding that he was $68,400 behind on his child support payments, despite being a well-paid dentist. Following a five-month investigation, Deputy Los Angeles County District Attorney Michael Montagna released a public statement stating no charges had been brought against Chandler, citing Jackson's lawyer's failure to file for extortion in a timely manner and Jackson's willingness to negotiate with Chandler for several weeks. Montagna explained that the settlements were encouraged as as they were favored by the law. Montagna also said that the discussion between Jackson's representatives and Barry K. Rothman, Chandler's attorney at the time, appeared to have been attempts to settle a possible civil case, not efforts to extort money. So this is just messy. Now, here's actually where they talk about the sedatives. Chandler admitted that he used a sedative, which was sodium amthol, amethol. I'm probably saying that wrong, but I am not a doctor. Uh, during Jordan's dental surgery, during which uh, Jordy had said that Jackson touched his penis. So sodium amethyl, 
I'm going to say Amy Tall because it's spelled A-M-Y-T-A-L, Amy Tall, is a barbiturate that puts people in a hypnotic state when injected intravenously. By the way, who does that to get a tooth pulled? Yeah, there's uh, so many problems with that. I mean, it was one thing yeah. if it was just a sedative, but something that's bordering on a truth serum. I don't know about that. And, and injected. It was in like, I can get like twilight anesthesia for when you get like four of your wisdom teeth pulled out because they got to like go through all that stuff. But if you're like getting what I would assume is a baby tooth pulled out, like, why would you do that? Yeah, they can do that with local Novocaine. That's not, that would be, that would be unnecessary. You get Novocaine and gas, laughing gas, when you get your root canals done. Like if you have a root canal, like they don't put you to sleep. They just give you gas and Novocaine. And that, I think that's way worse than pulling out a tooth. Studies carried out in 1952 demonstrate that it enables false memories to be implanted. According to Allison Winter, a science historian at the University of Chicago, these types of drugs place people in a state of extreme suggestibility. People will pick up on cues about what the questioner wants to hear and just repeat that back. Michael Torbenarm, a dental anesthesiologist who administered the drug, told GQ that if sodium amytal was used for dental purposes, according to Diane Diamond of the tabloid program Hard Copy, his records show that Robinul and Vasitrol, oh, I am butchering this. I'm so sorry to the friend, people that listen to us that are in the medical community. They're just wincing right now. I'm sorry. We're administered instead of sodium amytal, amytal. The U.S. Drug Enforcement Administration was investigating Torbener's administration of the drugs during house calls, where he mostly gave patients morphine and Demetrol. His credentials with the board of the dental examiners indicated that he was restricted by law to use it solely for dental procedures, but he had not adhered to those restrictions. For example, he had given a general anesthetic to Barry Rothman during hair transplant procedures. He had also introduced Chandler and Rothman in 1991, when Rothman needed dental work. So did we catch everything? Just out of curiosity, did you guys catch that? This doctor who was under investigation introduced both a general anesthetic, Barry Rothman, to Chandler in 1991. So he gave him the idea, basically, of injecting this medication. Oh, sounds creepy. And here's where it gets really, I feel like this would be humiliating. On February 10th, 1993, Jackson had revealed in the television interview that he had vitiligo. We just talked about that. The interview was watched by 90 million viewers. And after it aired, information on vitiligo was widely shared in the media. Uh, according to Pelicano, Jordy Chandler said, in July 1993, that Jackson did lift up his shirt once to show the blotches on his skin. On December 20th, 1993, investigators for the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Department and the LAPD issued Jackson with a warrant for strip search as the police wanted to verify Jordy's description of Jackson's private anatomy. The officers photographed Jackson's entire body. The police were looking for discoloration or any sides of via, uh, of any signs of vitiligo that Jordy had spoken about or any other skin disorder. Refusal to comply would have been used in court as an indication of guilt. Wow. Yeah. Those present for the prosecution were the district attorney, Tom Sneeden, and a detective, a photographer, and a doctor. Those present on behalf of Jackson were his two attorneys, a physician, a detective, a bodyguard, and a photographer. 
I'm sorry, I'm not an attorney, but how are those guys not putting a stop to this? I mean, well, they're basically saying like, if you don't do this, you're guilty. And uh, again, and, I'm not. We will make a case for that. I'm not an expert on the law, but that doesn't sound like something you can do. I I don't know. I uh, it's <laughs> if they issue a warrant though, there's really nothing you can do. I don't know if they can issue a warrant to look at your. I mean, like I don't, I've never heard of that. Yeah, I want to search a premises, sure, but to not, search and search know. a car, search your house, search, you know, something like that. But like to search your pants, I've never, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with this. Well, it's, it's kind of the idea. I know my brother's probably never seen this movie, but uh, Mr. Thrill, I know you have watched it with me. Uh, you know the, the movie Devil's Advocate, where he, mm-hmm. where, um, what's Coach's name? Craig T. Nelson. Yes, Craig T. <laughs> Nelson is his uh, secretary is being cross-examined and he says the question is is he circumcised and that's how they figure out that he you know was having an affair with the secretary because she did know the state of his you know private area and so like it's it's a very gray area for me but i mean it seems to have been done legally because if you have two attorneys on both sides then well, if you have the attorneys on, I mean, if his, side, if his attorney advised him to do it or told him he needed to, I mean, I, I guess technically it's legal, but that's what I was wondering. Yeah, maybe there's. Yeah, I mean, I, mean I guess he, he's paying attorneys to to give him that kind of advice. So if they told him to do it, then I, you know, I guess I guess it's legal. I've just I've I've never heard of that in particular, and I actually have seen Devils of Advocate. That's, that's been oh, have you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's the one a- with with Keenan Reeves and uh, the hot redhead and whatever. Charlie's Theron. <laughs> yeah, Charlie's Theron's in it. Yeah, uh, yeah I've seen that one. I've actually seen that one. That's actually a really good film. I like that one. The, but but Pacino, that's, uh, Pacino's in that, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. Let's let's not get let's not give away the whole plot of the movie. I'm just gonna tell people to go watch it. But um, but yeah, I mean, I like said if, I said there's a hot redhead in Al Pacino. I don't think that's the plot. That's actually the whole plot. <laughs> that actually is the movie. That's the, the, movie that's the whole. That's the whole movie. Al Pacino and her hot redhead. Yep. That's and, and Keanu Reeves. Don't forget Keanu Reeves. And Keanu, and Keanu Reeves. Keanu Reeves. So, uh, but yeah, as far as the legality is, if we have any lawyers that do listen to the show, please kind of weigh in on this because I'd be really interested to see like, what is the legality of this? Because it seems like it would be invasive and it, it obviously humiliating. And it's, I don't, know if be... a, I don't know if there's a, a if, if what separates this from a lot of things is that there's an alleged sexual assault of some kind yeah um, of, a, of a child so uh, of, of minors yeah I, I i don't but again he's paying he you know michael would have been paying his lawyers a lot of money to give him legal advice so if they told him to do it i i'm sure that it's something he needed to do now, they couldn't make him do it but if it but if they're telling him like well then this will almost be an indication of guilt and his lawyers say yeah mike it kind of would be then i i and then i guess i can understand why he uh, you know then comply yeah that but would be I, the but only again, thing if, it, if the lawyers tell you to do it then I'm, I'm i'm sure then legally they can ask you to do it yeah yeah no and i and that's i fully agree like at this point too when there's a minor involved and you're in so deep like you're just gonna listen to your lawyers he also has two of them which makes me think like they're at least probably conversing on you know between the two of them they have to have the knowledge and the know-how and what works best for your client. Cause like they're supposed to work in your best interest. And I guarantee you, he didn't have crappy lawyers at this time. Their office was not in a strip mall. No. Yeah, no, no. All right. So uh, let me find my spot. Okay. Uh, At Jackson's insistence, the attorneys 
and Sneedon agreed to leave the room when the examination took place. At Jackson's insistence, the prosecution's detective also left. In an emotional state, Jackson stood on a platform in the middle of the room and disrobed. The search lasted for approximately 25 minutes. He was never touched. On January 28, 1994, Reuters and USA Today reported that an unidentified source had told them that the pictures did not match Jordy's description. According to the LAPD, Detective and pedophilia expert Bill Warden, and I think I'm saying that right, who spoke to NBC News on in February 2003, Jordy's description matched the photos of Jackson's genitalia. He did not believe that Jordy's accusations were coached. The DA and the sheriff's photographer stated that the description was accurate, but the jurors felt that the photos did not match the description. In March 1994, Jackson's mother, Catherine, was called to testify in front of the L.A. County Grand Jury Investigators, sorry, L.A. County Grand Jury. Investigators asked whether her son had altered the appearance of his genitalia. Jordy claimed that Jackson was circumcised. However, Jackson's autopsy report showed that he had not been circumcised and the foreskin remained intact with no signs of surgical restoration. That's that's what I was saying about devil's advocate. They can was, surgically restore foreskin? I modern science is amazing, I guess. I guess. Uh, and and it, it's just imagine being on the jury and that the jury said that it's uh, the picture of his penis didn't look anything like the uh what the kid said it did. Like imagine imagine that you get a jury notice. <laughs> and Jesus. and Having no idea that within a few months you're going to see a picture of Michael Jackson's penis. Yeah, and how? I, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not even being funny about that. No, I mean, that really, no, really think about the absurdity of what I just said. No, because like, okay, it's it's one thing when you're sitting on a jury and then you have to look at, you know, forgive me for for saying this because this might trigger some people, but like seeing a corpse. Right. Okay, that's that's traumatic. But the person is not sitting in the courtroom looking at the reaction of people. Like, right. if someone took a picture of, of my genitalia and then posted it in front of a courtroom full of people, I would be mortified. I can't even imagine what this would do to a person, especially if they were innocent. And I'm not saying that Michael Jackson was, but I'm saying think about how you would feel if you were. Think about how violated you were. And this is you know, because somebody wanted a movie deal, like, because they saw you as a wallet. I think you guys even kind of glazed over the idea that Evan said that Michael should buy him a house, right? Like he just casually made that uh, suggestion, like, oh, you should buy me a house. Yeah. Now I do have a stance on this and I, I will probably reveal it later on when it comes to other allegations that happen, but for this, I, I feel like this was one man's vendetta against somebody who he saw as a trying to take his son away from him or his stepson away from him. And you're also looking at the biggest pop star in the world with seemingly an unending amount of money. And you see a way to maybe make some cash. and. I have thoughts on other things that have happened in Michael Jackson's life and other allegations that are coming up. I, we actually had a conversation about this a couple of minutes ago, me and Will the Thrill did. And so, you know, we'll talk about you, you guys' thoughts in, in a page or two, just to, to kind of 
put a bow on this, just to put a button in it. On January the 4th, 1994, Larry Feldman filed a court motion in an effort to obtain the police photographs of Jackson. The motion stated a multiple choice request, either provide copies of the photographs, submit Jackson to a second search, or the, co the court can bar the photographs from the civil trial as evidence. Feldman said that the district's attorney office previously refused the request of these photographs. Jackson's lawyers asked Santa Barbara County judge to order prosecutors to return the photographs, fearing that they would become public, but they were denied. His family does weigh in, and LaToya is, is one of the first ones and um, one of the vocal ones to kind of weigh in. On September 2nd, 1993, as a guest on the Today Show, Jackson's sister LaToya expressed support for her brother, stating, I stand by Michael 1,000%. If you think about it, he has been convicted before a trial. Then within minutes, she explained that she couldn't tell if the allegations were true or false and that not being a judge, she was unable to make such a determination. A few weeks later, after appearing on The Maury Show, she noted Jackson was being convicted by the police despite not having been charged with any crime. She stated there was nothing inappropriate about Michael's relationship with children and that she would never believe such allegations unless Michael admitted to them. On December 8th, 1993, LaToya had been estranged from the Jackson family, had not seen her brother for several years, claimed Jackson was a pedophile. She said that she had seen checks made out to different boys' families, that Jackson's own physical childhood abuse had turned him into an abuser. She and her then-husband, Jack Gordon, also said that Jackson had tried to kidnap and kill her. On December 9th, LaToya repeated her suspicions to Katie Couric on the Today Show. I don't know. He'd have boys over all the time, and then they'd stay in his room for days. Then they would come out, and then there'd be another boy, and then he'd bring someone else, but there were never two at a time. LaToya claimed to have proof of Jackson's pedophilia and offered to disclose, disclose it for $500,000. What a shock. A bidding war oh, between geez. U.S. and U.K. tabloids began but fell through as Jackson biographer Jay Randy wrote, she didn't have to offer, she didn't have much to offer after all. The Jackson's family disowned her, and in later years, she recanted the allegation, saying that she had been forced to make the allegations by her husband. In 2009, when recanting her 1993 statements to Barbara Walter, she stated again that Jackson was not a pedophile and never indulged in any improper relations with a child. Prior to making the allegations, Gordon has been arrested for assaulting her and the couple divorced three years later. By the turn of the millennium, Jackson had forgiven his sister. So I don't know what to think of LaToya, man. I She's all over the board. Um, I, I think that she was in a very toxic relationship. Like I'm no relationship expert, but I feel like she really went off the rails when she got with Jack Gordon. Like it seems like those three years were where her most toxic traits came out. Well, it also seems like, she, I mean, the split between her and the family had been growing for some time now. So I don't know if it was like a twisted way to almost get back at them. I, I'm not sure. I, yeah, I have no idea. It's just, she's, she, she seems to have a rocky, a very rocky life and a very rocky relationship with her family. So. Or if it was at that point dealing with irrelevance and trying to get publicity. Mm, not too. there is also that but remember she was like i'll give you the the truth but you got to pay me five hundred thousand dollars like you got to pay me half a million dollars and i'll tell you the truth that's, that's disgusting i'm sorry according to chris cadman jackson met lisa marie presley around may 26 1974 
during a Jackson 5 engagement in Lake Tahoe. Her father, does anybody know who Lisa Marie Presley's father is? Mm, wait a second. Man was it the guy man. From, no? Okay. Was it the guy from, uh, was it the guy from Air Supply that was in the Michael Jackson video game? You nailed it right on the head. That's, yep, that's it. For those who don't know, Lisa Marie Presley's father is Elvis Presley. What? Yeah. And he was closing a two-week engagement at the Sahara Tahoe while the Jackson 5 were just about to begin one. In November 1992, Jackson was reconnected with Presley through a mutual friend, and they talked almost every day by telephone. As the abuse allegations became public, he became dependent on Presley for emotional support. She was concerned about his faltering health. She also stated, I believe that he didn't do anything wrong and that he was wrongly accused. And yes, I started to fall for him. I wanted to save him. I felt like I could do that. She described him in one call as high, incoherent, and delusional. He proposed to her over the phone in late 1993 saying, if I ask you to marry me, would you do it? And that's where I'm going to end this particular episode. Now, we're going to pick up next week on other accusers and cover more of Michael Jackson's life. Hopefully, we'll be able to kind of, you know, swim through a couple more years. Now, this is going to be a strange one because of the subject matter of the episode. I'm not actually going to end this episode with a song. I'm going to end it in silence. Because if you guys noticed, I I told you that this episode was going to be missing something and there's no music at all. I felt like the subject matter was too important. And even though songs were being released and things were happening, and of course he was touring, the, the heaviness of what he and everyone involved, Jordy included, like think about this poor kid is being dragged through this. And, you know, he's got his parents to deal with and he's got to, you know, I feel so bad for him for having been dragged through all this. Whether or not the allegations are true, you have to think, that he would have to deal with the scrutiny of the adults around him. You have to think about what he's having to deal with at school. And thank God there was no social media because he would be, you know, fried on social media for all of the Michael Jackson fans out there. Like, think about, you know, now if somebody says like one bad thing about Taylor Swift, they're eaten alive on social media. Think about that on a global scale now and think about that when you're like 12. That can't be easy. I can imagine this case would be extremely different if it were in the age of social media and not not for the better. Yeah. No, not at all. No, not at all. And and I know that they, they, you know, even back then they were very careful about hiding the identity of minors as they are now. And they even do it within social media. But people find out. People talk. People know. So maybe on like our side of the world, we don't know who Jordy Chandler is, but he lives in Los Angeles. And I guarantee you, every kid he went to school with probably knew what happened. And whether or not he was abused, y- you have to live with that the rest of your life. You have to live with knowing that that's what your your dad, your stepdad did. And and I'm not saying if Michael Jackson is guilty or innocent. I am. I will say, you know, and I and please don't hate me because this is my opinion, and it's not the only opinion I have. But I don't think in this case, I do not think in this case, Michael Jackson was guilty. This specific case, I do not believe he was guilty because there was so much extortion happening, so much, you know, money grabbing happening, so many stories being sold that I feel like people saw an open door and just walked right through it. So what do you guys think? 
TJ, why don't you go first? Um, about which, which angle of this in particular? You just, what are your thoughts on this episode? Like, what are your thoughts on the case? What are your thoughts on guilt and innocence? You know, give, give me the whole story. Um, I don't know. These seem a little fishy to me. When the first demand is, yeah, well, you know, you should buy me a house. And then, you know, I want a $20 million movie deal. And, well, I want $20 million. Well, I'll, I'll give you a million if you'll go away. Well, 15. There's just something very unsavory about that. And it just seems you're less interested. And, and again, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't, I wasn't there, so I don't know. But it just, just with what you've presented, it seems very much like you're much more concerned with benefiting some way rather than actually seeking justice for your kid Mm -hmm. if they were actually wronged in some way now like i said i I don't have any idea if he did something inappropriate with with any of these kids or not but this particular case there's so much there's so much um of a i'm trying to think of the word it's i I mean i hate to say cash grab but that's kind of what it feels like um it's somebody who's trying to um exploit a situation that may or may not have actually happened for their own personal benefit again instead of actually seeking peace and justice for their kid who they're claiming was wronged so and then you start mixing in all this stuff about the medicines they were injected with and things like that it just gets real sketchy to me yeah and will what, what are your thoughts well i again it's this is hard this is really hard and I have up until this point been sitting on a card that I haven't played. And that is, I went to school with one of the individuals who was part of the Jackson trial. Can you, can you share anything? Uh, I'll kind of save some for the next episode because I know we're going to cover it. All I can tell you is this individual was someone who knew Michael. I don't know how many people are aware of this, but I grew up in Franklin Lakes, New Jersey, and Michael Jackson did have a house there for a time. Uh, The individual whose name I shall not name was allegedly someone who would go to Michael's concerts. He would go visit him. Uh, He allegedly, and I'm doing allegedly because I don't know all the facts, he would stay at the Jackson home from time to time. And he had parents, you know, like everybody else. And he was in the camp of testimony that was Michael did not do anything. So there's more to uncover with that. But The only thing I will say that I think everyone universally agrees on is that Michael Jackson was a very, very damaged person. Very. Um, It's, it's regrettable. I, I, and I, again, what is the truth? We don't know. We don't know. And it does seem like a lot of people were trying to leverage the situation. Um, All I know is that I had personal contact with someone who was believed that he did not do these things. So yeah and you know that you say he's damaged that's you know i forgot i'd forgotten that uh what one of the aspects of this episode early on was his you know multiple plastic surgeries but you kind of factor that in with not really having healthy relationships with other adults only with children and stuff and yeah that that kind of is the image that you start to get a little bit and again to to go back to our last episode there's nobody in his circle anymore who will tell him that doing some of the things he's doing is a bad idea. He's removed everybody and to his own detriment, I, I think. He, he removed anybody from his sphere who wasn't a yes man. Anybody who challenged him, anybody who said, 
hey, Mike, it's maybe not the best idea when you've already had a couple of allegations floated for you to keep hanging around with all these kids. Right. And, and, but there, there was nobody, there was nobody left who was going to tell him that. Yeah. And even if there was, I don't know that he would have listened to him because in his mind, he's like, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person that I try to take things at face value, understanding that there's probably a deeper thing that goes in. On, like I try, I want the best in people and I, I want our heroes to not have flaws. You know, they say, you know, don't meet your heroes, kids. Well, I, I, I've gotten to meet some of my heroes and some of them have been amazing. Like Robert Morris, he was amazing. The, the persona that Michael Jackson put out into the world was someone that was quiet, kind, caring. He created Heal the World. He, part, he did his part in We Are the World. He was a, a generous person. And I think something, I think there was something in his persona that just made people think, oh, he's also someone that I can target. And he would do things like just pick random kids, you know, it, he wasn't, he was hanging out with celebrities, hanging out with, you know, um, he was hanging out with Macaulay Culkin and Gary Coleman and, or sorry, Emmanuel Lewis. And so he was, he was hanging out with these celebrity kids, but he would hang out with normal kids. And I think when he did that, there was some sort of weird line that was crossed where someone's like, oh, he's hanging out with, you know, normal children. This must be something bad, you know? Yeah. I would also say, though, that you know, he's a very complex personality because, yes, generous, um, very meek, soft-spoken, all that stuff, but incredibly driven and probably a little bit of an, ego, an egotist. When, you know, yes, I'll come to the, um, to the White House if you would give me an award. Well, MTV can make up such and such to me by just making up some award and giving it to me yeah um like he like you know i i want this album to be the big, biggest selling album in the history of the world i'm very angry i only won two grammys this year and not all seven that i was nominated for those are the hallmarks of some either somebody who's really driven or really likes having the <laughs> really likes having the 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 shiny prizes to show off or is a little bit in love with themselves yeah. And I'll, I'll even add to that a little bit. There's a very dark side to artistic individuals. I mean, Michael Jackson was above all an artist. Yeah. And if you listen to some of his songs, I mean, take, for example, they don't care about us. That is a deeply expressionistic, angry song. Oh yeah. That's and a very sharp song. It's a very sharp. And he's got others what? in the catalog that are maybe the most angry that. that he ever did. Yeah. That I could yeah. Think of. So what I'm saying kind of piggybacks on what you were bringing up, TJ, as I know we're trying to close this out here, is that there is a dark side to it. And, you know, there is that component of someone who is that that is there, that 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 darker side. I mean, you hear it with comedians all the time. They're the most depressed people, yet, but they're so funny. And then you have Michael Jackson, who's this amazing pop star, and he's making so many people happy, but oh man, he had demons. And then how really... much of that goes back to his childhood? How much yep. is he trying to plug a hole that was that was left there for the, you know what he went through in terms of allegedly being abused and not having love of, of father and uh, knowing that his father was screwing around on his mother and then that that affected him and that he was angry about that and 
Then he kind of cut the family out for a while, and then he kind of relented and came back and toured with them again, and then cut them off again. You know what I mean? There's, there's, you just, you just start to want, and 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 obviously I'm not a psychiatrist, so I, I don't know, but you just wonder, like, are you trying to, to, are you trying to plug a hole somehow? Mm. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, and and please note, guys that are still listening that haven't rage turned this podcast off. Um, please know that there is you know, a group of people that are very convinced that Hollywood is full of pedophiles. I don't know if it's full of, full of pedophiles, but I know there are pedophiles out there. I know that there are people that are willing to take advantage of people that are young and hungry. And that's on a psychological or a sexual level. There are people out there that are predators. And I'm, I would have to be blind not to realize that that happens. Look at look at Harvey Weinstein. And for so many years, he operated at the highest level of Hollywood and allegation after allegation after allegation came out. And the same thing happened with Cosby. You know, these people that we held up on this pedestal turn out to be, you know, dirtbags. And there are parts of this particular case that make me lean toward Michael Jackson's favor. There's too much money being the center of the truth to make me think that he actually did this, this particular case. Now I have opinions about other cases. So please understand that we're trying to be as fair and balanced as possible, presenting you with the information that I have been given through my research, that this stuff is readily available in the public realm. And I urge you guys, please share your opinions. If you hate my opinion, if you hate me for the for my beliefs, please share that on social media. I encourage you to reach out to us on our social media and talk to us. You know, I love to hear other sides of the story. And I know that my opinion is not the be all end all. And so I, I absolutely encourage you guys to please reach out and, and tell us what you guys think. What, what do you guys believe is the truth? Do you believe he was a pedophile, a hundred percent. And every allegation that's ever been made against him are true. Do you think that uh, he's completely innocent or is there, you know, gray area? And that's where I live. I live in the gray area because you know, this will all come to light later on in the series when we deal with the, the later allegations, but we're going to put this to bed I know this is a very dark episode. We probably have a lot of people that hate us right now for what we just said, but this is a really dark episode. This is a really hard episode. It was a hard episode for me to write to the point where normally I write 12 to 14 pages and I got to page nine and I'm like, I can't really do this. So I tried to, to include every point that I could about the case and to lead you into what's going to happen in the next episode. But it, it was uncomfortable on every position. It's uncomfortable thinking that a child could have been violated. It's uncomfortable thinking that a man against his will was photographed in the most vulnerable position and that was presented in court. None of this is good. None of this was, was a joy to write. And so I will be happy when we get out of this, this part of the story. I mean, it's so, like, it pretty much sucks from now until the end. And so uh, that's that's where we're going to end this. And like I said, I'm not going to play a piece of music at the end of this episode. And the reason why I'm choosing to do that is because there's no song that seems appropriate for what people went through during this time period. 
there's no song that I think would be okay to, you know, button this episode up. So with this, I'm actually going to end with silence. I am also not going to give out our socials, but if you check the show notes or the end of other episodes, you will have it. I will give out our Facebook because that's, um, that is where we are going to continue discussions. That's going to be Facebook at rock and roll heaven pod. Please feel free to come over and share whatever you like. That's actually an open forum. People are more than welcome to post anything that they want to over there. We encourage it, but please be kind, be kind to other people's opinions and, you know, just be a good human when you're posting over there. And uh, again, if you guys have a difference of opinion, please share it. TJ, would you like to say good night? Bye, everybody. All right. Will, would you like to say goodbye? Yes. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll catch you on the next one. All right, guys. Next week, we will also still be talking about other allegations that are coming up at this point and his marriage to Lisa Marie Presley. But from all of us here at Rock and Roll Heaven to all of you out there, I tell you guys, be good humans. We love you and we'll see you next week. Maryland sports fans. There's only one sports book in the great state of Maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers. Bet Fred Sportsbook at Long Shots is now open and is the only sports book in Frederick offering cash betting on football, basketball, world soccer and more. Visit the Bedfred Sportsbook at I-270 and MD-85 in Frederick, right next to Longshot's Off-Track Betting. Go to BedfredSports.com for more information and your chance to win exclusive merchandise. Must be 21 or older. Play responsibly. For help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.